What's the secret to bringing more money in to achieve high growth? No, not just setting New Year's goals or working on your positive affirmations. Today's topic is more technical and grounded on systems information that delivers realized growth no matter if you're mom and pop or a company with tons of employees. We're discussing tools to get you where you want to go to grow quickly no matter what economic condition the world is in. It's about how to create lean methods in your business to better understand costing and estimating so you can know which customers and jobs to focus on that pay for profit. Our guest, Jeff Hanlon, is filling in the gaps for us in this long-awaited episode. Get ready to level up your powder coater game. Welcome to the Powder Coder Podcast. Um, happy, I'm your host, Kim Scott, and we talk about trending topics, interview influencers, and talk about things that are really important to the powder coating industry. So that's why I'm my next guest, uh, Jeff Hanelin from Steelhead Technologies, is here to talk about that. And I'm happy to have him on the show. He's a busy guy. He's doing a lot of computer coding and computer work to automate the powder coating industry. So welcome, Jeff. Hi. Thank you, Kim. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> yeah. So tell us, um, before we get started on uh, answering the question below, which is, do you make money? And if not, how, what can you do about it? Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about I guess, number one, why did you pick powder coating <laughs> to automate powder coating in an application? And um, what's your background? How did you get started in that and, um, and all of that? So, Sure. Yeah. So uh, my background uh, specifically is in uh, mechanical engineering. I actually went to Michigan Tech. I, I live in Southeast Michigan currently. I actually worked at General Motors for uh, four years right out of school. Um, but then I had a, a buddy, um, Dean is his name. He's actually our current head of sales at Steelhead. And he's out of Minneapolis. And he called me and said, hey, we uh, we need to get into sales. Like there's just so much excitement uh, to be had uh, in sales and, and engineering and bringing new products to market and things like that. So we started a technical sales company um, and we were working in that role. And we had, uh, we bumped into a finishing shop. They were actually more vanitizing, things like that. And we started, and they said, hey, we've been looking for a system for years. We've tried every single demo we can. Nothing's built for us. So we're still using a creaky system yeah. out of the 90s and running our plant on paper. Customers will call us with simple questions like, where are our parts? And if you do locate them, well, now answer the question, will, when will they be done? And they had 300 open work orders and 50 people and stuff like that. And they were extremely emphatic that there needed to be a solution built. And we had a community um, of software developers and software engineers that we worked with. Um, so uh, we 
co-founded Steelhead. Uh, there's actually six co-founders out of out of Michigan that uh, specialize in software development, statistics, um, uh, mechanical engineering, software engineering, and we really started building building Steelhead to address this need. Um, uh, however, one of our first actual users was actually our second customer, which was a powder coating shop, a smaller shop, really close to our engineers, and that they actually were. Uh, professional acquaintances of our of our engineers, so that gave us a lot of benefit because we can, uh, we could uh, create a product, create a technology, get someone using it in the real world. In this case, mm-hmm. uh, a powder coater, and get feedback from them almost immediately. So we were in their shop on a daily basis for weeks and weeks and weeks, and they started using it in production. So they had clipboards to start, and they'd hang the clipboards and the position uh, of the clipboard and the depth of the clipboard all had special meanings and the colors <laughs> and the highlighters and all of that, but even um, they weren't even that big of a shop. I think maybe uh, six, seven, eight, ten headcount shop, uh, one shift, um, all batch uh, manual powder coating, and they were already running into issues with communication, with inefficiency, with losing things. So it's mm-hmm. um, per our what we were talking before the show there, Kim, like about the size of shops that really see value from from a, a streamlined system. It's not a three hundred shop issue. It's not a two hundred yeah. shop issue. It, it is an issue for them. But it, it becomes an issue really quickly once you go past one or two people where you can't just like yell across the room. When you're starting to add more people, simple systems tend to kind of fall apart mm-hmm. very fast, very quickly. Um, you know, you can create coded systems and stuff, but then you have this elaborate way to explain it to somebody so that they remember when it's easy maybe for you to remember uh, it. But, you know, some people are visual learners and some people are not visual learners, right? So, um, you know, how do, you know, the question is, is how do you make money and then expand a, you know, expand your simple systems into complex ones, uh, you know, using automation, using better systems, whether you're using, um, you know, a a complex, you know, a program like your, like Steelhead or any other system for that matter. I mean, we've had people on, you know, coders on the show here where they have, um, they have really navigated very, very well, these systems, whether they're using automation or, um, or programs like Steelhead or uh, similar programs, uh, productivity programs. Um, How, how do you make that jump? and when do you know you're making that jump? I mean, yes, we're talking about making money today. So, you know, you know, when you're losing money, you're losing money. Right. But mm-hmm. a lot of people, they, they understand that they're, they could be making more money, but they also don't realize or have the awareness or the, you know, of, that they're ready for something next level. Right. How do, how does, how do you re- determine that or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Kim. Uh, I mean, there's, um, I think you could even start with the, the fundamental reason why grow at all, right? We have two people. <laughs> why hire a third? Why hire a fifth? Why hire a tenth? Why hire a twentieth? Why hire a thirtieth? Why buy another oven? Uh, and generally, the the answer is is not just grow just to have more headaches. Generally, there's a reason. There's an attractive reason why we should be pursuing growth, and that can come through better offerings to our customers. Well, if we have a larger oven, we can do bigger parts. If we have more people. We can serve more customers, and that means our customers can get their parts faster. We don't have that two-week turnaround. We can get that down to a five-week turnaround because we have more capacity, so we can better serve uh, our, our customers. Um, however, or if we want to make more money, right? If we have a larger operation and we have the same amount of overhead management, 
on the same amount of land and the same amount of um, uh, costs. Uh, we increase our profitability with our scale. So there's a lot of, of compelling reasons to scale. However, if you're not methodical about your scale and you're, you do not have systems that accommodate that growth and you use the same systems that you had for three people or five people, all the way up to 50 or 150 uh, or 80, um, you are going to be in some serious pain. And uh, I guess that's the thing that we've seen uh, really prevalent in the powder coating industry is that, uh, and a lot of job shops actually is, is that growth happens organically over time. Bigger orders come. A customer started small and they kept right. on growing, kept on growing. And all of a sudden we're building whole new lines just for that one customer or whatever that growth story is, um, which is really exciting. And that's why powder coating is such an exciting business to be in. But what we've kind of seen is the, maybe the, standard modus operandi is we, we, we scale until a point where it's like, that is so much pain. We're going to fix that right now. <laughs> we're coming in on a Friday. We're not leaving until it's done. And the solution that's put in place is what we call point solution. So there's a specific piece of pain where our, our quoting is, has pain or our scheduling has pain. Mm-hmm. And we come up with a solution to fix just that problem. Um, so to me, it's a, like, for example, scheduling, like in a powder coating shop, um, we, we've seen where you know, you're in the office and you create the schedule on the whiteboard, take a picture of it, go out in the plant and recreate it on a whiteboard, right? That, that's a solution. That works. That fixes a very specific problem, but it's completely detached from coding and workflow and everything else like that. So mm-hmm. that's that's really the, the mentality shift that I think is applicable to any size shop is not being in the reactive mode where we, we have a very acute problem with something like inventory and we don't know what how much powder we have so we build an excel sheet to track our inventory that's a, a point solution and going from that mentality to i want a system to run my entire business on because there's so much value to, to having all those systems uh, interconnected and and the flow from from end to end so it's um really a proactive approach to to scaling your business yeah and it, there really hasn't been a solution um very many solutions um like, again earlier we've had other people come on have talked about what they've done thus far or what system they're using. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some of them are more broad based where they're more industry broad, right? So they're not anything specific to powder coating. And, you know, for whatever reason, and maybe it's just, a, it, it could be across many industries. Every industry has its niche or has its thing mm-hmm. they have to do uh, X plus you know, X plus Y equals Z kind of thing. Um, it seems, you know, I'd like to think, or, you know, I agree that powder coating is a, a slightly different methodology or, you know, approach to doing jobs sometimes. Um, and, you know, some of these broader based uh, product productivity applications don't always fit that bill. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess on one hand, I want to hail you for, you know, you know, when I first started seeing, you know, uh, your brand out there and I'm like, oh, finally, somebody mm. has something specific for powder coating, right? Where <clears throat> other companies, you know, generational coders, you know, from what I've read and 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 researched in the marketplaces, they had to build their own mm-hmm. unique mm-hmm. program. Yes. You know, and if it is with coding and, and up, you know, if you're not keeping it fresh and updated, most business owners just want to buy it and be done with it and then never have to yes. fiddle battle with it again. <clears throat> but that's not how developers work. That's not how code works. That's not how it all works. Right. You have to keep implementing updates and, in, you know, integrations and stuff like that. 
So, and of course it's the, the upside or the downside to that is extreme money. You know, you have to throw it out there. Yeah, uh, Kim, that's a, a great um, kind of back tie into uh, we start telling the steelhead story and uh, you know, that's what really gave us a lot of uh, energy to continue investing more and more and more into technology to serve this industry is our continual discovery of what we call existing solutions. So if you line up 100 powder coating shops and you walk into 100, I can give you a pretty good idea of what you're going to get when you walk through those doors. I have different guesses based on the size, a couple other attributes, but you're either going to have a generic software, off-the-shelf manufacturing ERP that's kind of force-fitted into, into powder mm -hmm. coating. And I can tell you what the pain is going to be. There's going to be Excel sheets. <laughs> there's going to be all sorts of workarounds around it. We, we've seen it yeah. just so many times. Um, we also see, like like you mentioned, people that build their own software. To me, that is a, a little bit of a, uh, of, a, of a cry for help <laughs> because <laughs> if you think about it, I'm a manufacturer. Like, what, what is my competitive advantage in the world? I run this shop. I keep the trains on time. I build equipment. I like writing software. That's a completely... Right. That's that's you got a cow in the backyard for your own milk. Right. I mean, come on. Right. Right? Like, is that really the business you should be in? Uh, but it's software super. Um, it's a unique business. It's a tremendous upfront investment. You can put a million dollars into a piece of software and it can be almost unusable. That that happens all the time uh, with cybersecurity. Like you have to be constantly on top of your game. I mean, we've unfortunately talked to several job shops that have gotten uh, bricked. Cybersecurity, they've gotten hacked, ransomware, pay them a half million dollars or, or you can't run your plant. Uh, so right. it's, it, it's not like you just built it and it's done or or your business changes. You add another line, you add e-coat and then powder coat or or, or you ha open another business. Now you have two locations. Well, how do you do that? How do you handle yeah. two locations? Like these are easy words to say, but tremendous engineering challenges. And yeah. if you build your own software, you better be ready to keep paying year after year after year after year. And I, I hate to say it, but it's, probably still going to be significantly below a solution that like a company like steelhead like you're not going to get what you really want out of it right seven yeah. engineers that do nothing but build like, right. the best platform in the world and and you know if you have one you know person building building a solution that works just for you like it, it'll build just for your plant but um there are some significant drawbacks to custom software and then we also see paper and um excel based operations and um and or or kind of older softwares so um that, that's really what's yeah, at that point what's the point like if i can't see it on a dashboard these days you know like that's kind of what people are you know they still have to you know, i don't know me i'm a dashboard kind of gal i want to see mm. it all on a dashboard i don't you know maybe some of the old school people that are used to seeing excel spreadsheet can see that read that data like it's nobody's business when you've been looking at it for years mm. but you know um I think that the newer generational people or younger people want to see it in a dashboard. They don't want to have to do all that back hard work. And I was getting really good at it. I'm not very good with spreadsheets and formulas at all. Mm. I despise mm -hmm. it. I, I'll run away from that. I'll build, I'll build a, a, somebody else's Instagram before I, sure. you know, like, you know, kind of thing. But, um, you know, there is so much value in it if you can figure it out um, and read it on top of that, or at least gen generate a story with the data that you want to see. That's the hardest thing. And if you can do that in a dashboard that is workable, then that's even better because you've pulled the data that they really need to see when they need to see it. Um, and I was, you know, 
I had a spreadsheet. Uh, this is back in 2018, 19, 17, 18, 19. I was really getting knee deep in my financials, trying to tease out that story of how well we were doing or where we needed to focus on or whatever. And it, it, it was cumbersome. I, I had mm-hmm. to, I had to be dedicated every month to do it, mm-hmm. um, to put the data in. And I had to be, I had to do, because I wasn't good with formulas, I had to do all the calculating on my phone or on a, you know, on a calculator to see, okay, well, we had X number of jobs from this manufacturer that generated this much profitability, you know, blah, 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 you know, and it's mm-hmm. cumbersome. Like, right. even if you're dedicated to doing it, it's com- it's still cumbersome. And then never mind your other stuff like profit and loss statements and balance mm-hmm. sheets and, you know, all the other QuickBooks stuff, right? Or uh, you know, accounting software stuff. So, um, simplifying that is always a good thing to, you know, now you have an approach that is, you know, in terms of onboarding your clients and stuff where you realize you have to digitize everything. Can you speak about what digitizing means? Cause a lot of people don't, that's a common word in your, your business, you know, but not uh, nobody really, I don't think that the, you know, say a new customer coming in would understand what digitizing is, what you mean by that. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, do you want to share your slide? Yeah. Okay. Let me, um, and and do you mind if I go between the slides and and the, and the, yeah, I've got it set up. Uh, if you hit present, does it give you like options? Oh, there we go. There we go. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I haven't done this. Um, I've shared my own slides on, on this software, but I haven't had other people be able to do it. So, and here I can turn this, let's get that off so we can see some on the whole screen there. Excellent. So yeah, uh, the, the basic premise of, of digitize, automate, optimize is, is to build digital infrastructure for your business and, you know, the outcome you can't start at the end. You, you need to have the foundation before that. And really the beginning of the foundation is to digitize. And, and what it means to, to digitize, that means to take the existence of your plant, which means its current state, where parts are at. Uh, these parts are in blasting. These parts are in painting. These parts are in the oven. I have this many open orders. Um, I, here's my, my quotes, my inventory, my shipping, my receiving, my invoice and capacity planning, scheduling, all of that is physically digitized in a single system. So that means we're not, we don't have information on whiteboards. We don't have information on Excel sheets. We don't have information in multiple uh, softwares that are separate. We have it all or on paper, on paper, paper travelers. We have all the information in one single platform in real time. Um, however, that, that is kind of just step one, because if you take all of your data and you make it digital, uh, I mean, Kim, you were just saying how difficult it is to go through spreadsheets. So I could put all of your information in one big, huge spreadsheet, and it's like, well, there it is. It's digital. It's it's, <laughs> it's electronic. You know, make it now. It's so useful. That's actually not true because you need to go another layer deeper, mm-hmm. and uh, you need to put automation on top of that. And automation can come in a lot of different ways. So, so here we see an operator that's using a what we call a workboard. So it's a it's an iPad bolted to an I-beam in a powder coating shop. And what they are doing is they're stepping parts through 
the production and automated workflow. So he starts working on, uh, I believe he's, he's painting here. So he'll take say, parts, he'll say they're ready to paint, boom, they're in paint. So tap, tap, super simple. You can see pictures of the parts, uh, everything like that. Train them in 15 minutes. So, um, and now the parts are in paint and then they go and do the paint and they're done, they tap, tap, done. So that may not sound like traditional automation with like robots and everything, but a lot mm -hmm. of things that have actually happened there automatically. First off, the fact that the parts were right in front of them and said, these are ready to paint. That was automatic because it could have gone to another oven, but we specifically routed it to that station. So it's automatic work instructions. They can click on pictures. They, they can, they're, they're told what to work on. They can deplete inventories and they say, we use two pounds of powder. Well, what did that do? That automatically depleted our inventory source. It automatically associated that, that inventory consumption with that job. If we step the parts, well, we are also automatically tracking the amount of time. We're tracking who did it. We're tracking margins. We're tracking a lot of that data uh, automatically. And then as soon as mm -hmm. I hit step, I will automatically notify the next person in the process, kind of like hot potato around the plant, hey, these parts are available. It will automatically uh, update all of the dashboards throughout the plants. If a customer's on a customer portal, they can see that information. And then um, optimizing is kind of the end state. That is, we generate our schedules, we uh, run our workflows, our quotes, our shippers, our invoices, um, everything through a, a single platform that digitizes and automates. So first it makes it digital. So data exists in the first place. Our systems right. exist in the first place. Then we automate to save time, reduce errors. And then we optimize, which is focusing on the really exciting uh, growth part of the business. Yeah, I have a hard time like with, um, you know, some like, just if you could take a set of rims, even, you know, um, there's so much that can happen in a set of rims, right? There's uh, stuff that, you, you know, a be, you know, you've got the general steps, strip, blast, powder coat, right? But in between all of that, there's taping, there's, uh, there's, you got to take off the, you know, if, if it's not dented, but if like, if it's curbed or it's got some rash on there, you got to kind of grind it down. I mean, it's really kind of, um, you know, some of it is intuitive. If you do it all day long, that's mm -hmm. just the next step. Um, but you know, when you're constantly either running through employees or trying to retain employees and stuff like that, you know, it can get kind of difficult because some of these little finer details get really um, sometimes just go out the window. And then all of a sudden now you got to redo, you know, or because the guy didn't take out the curb or, you know, mm. aside from other catastrophes like painting it the wrong color or, you know, I mean, some of the more obvious like, oh, right. that's the wrong color. What do we do now? I mean, that's an obvious one. Right. But mm. you don't want to. I guess what I'm, my point is you don't want to wait until the customer goes, um, what's that, you know, or what, right. you know, how come it's not what I wanted, uh, to figure out, you know, uh, the other parts of the process did not come through, uh, you know, and I don't know if you can speak to that or not, or how that, yeah. you know, cause there's a chain reaction that goes on in the automation process. Yeah, absolutely. And so I guess what you're referring to specifically is, is workflow uh, automation. So, um, you know, tribal knowledge is is um, one thing that's extremely difficult to scale um, when it's word of mouth or just in our in our minds. Um, so, you know, in, in Steelhead, if I may, like what we do is we build out uh, specific processes. So, um, if I pull up uh, just a, an example process we have here, um, it has like the flow of what's 
what the, the parts are going through. They go through receiving, then the prep line, then the coding line, then quality inspection, unrack, uh, shipping mm-hmm. and invoicing. But you know what it's really about is building, um, and we talked about powder coating specific, and I, I could just build one live here. Yeah, you um, don't realize like if that was a set of rims, you you get the general stuff, but all the little stuff and you know that ended up being a huge process there, you know. Yeah, the receiving absolutely. the packaging, the you know all the other little things you don't think about, and that's where money can kind of slip through your fingers too. Yep, absolutely. I mean, you'd be surprised at how much how much cost there is. So that, that's what's really about the digitize digitize automate optimize process is about is building um, a a. Uh, the workflow and, and the platform to, to mock up your exact plant. So let's say we receive, and then, um, you know, we go to, uh, what would be next? Blasting. Mm-hmm. Blasting. Maybe do- if it's stri- maybe or stripping, um, if you have a strip tank or something, but yeah, we're, we're just building it. So let's just figure yeah, we can. Yeah. Just add there might be a, a, a strip, but the, the nice thing about the strip is like, Hey, we might not always do that strip. In fact, we only do it on occasion. So what we right. can do is, is we can grab that strip node and we can say that's an opt in node. So only certain things like, for example, wheels uh, or, or dirty wheels or, or whatever it is. Right. Um, oh, you can create your own one. That one's okay, going to be tag. opted in, right? So yeah. only that part number will get that specific uh, process where the other ones, they all get that generic process. So it's, it's that's really about, clever. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you, Kim. It's it's really about building uh, specific workflows for your specific plan. So the the right. outcome is that, you know, we have an interface or work boards that the team is able to use. So if I'm a new operator and I'm you know grinding these parts, I'm able to access work instructions and and photos of the parts, um, and you know different in- instructions on how to process the part. I always have some silly instructions in there. But, um, you know, it, it really takes the time that's uh, a training time that's required um, and, and really minimizes it for, for new employees. I think that's great because, you know, maybe 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 doing rims is a simple job, but then maybe you've got something like complex as that picture shows, you know, where mm-hmm. you're you really got to be detailed. They want it a little bit. And how do you I mean, we are always praising these custom coders on a show here because of the agility that they have to Mm -hmm. switch in from architectural uh, paint coding to, uh, you know, something automotive, which requires a different type of mindset. Um, It's you're all over. You can, if you're not organized, you can literally be all over the place. Um, and that leads to inconsistencies in your finish work, you know, and this is what makes it so, um, ideal, uh, especially for people that have, I'm, I'm guilty of those people that multitask too much and I'm Mm. all over the place, you know, I get it done, but like, I got like 15, you know, tabs open on my computer, you know, before, you know, I'm not a linear thinker at all, you know? And so I could see where this helps linear thinking people, but it all, you know, um, but it also can help the visual people with the interface and stuff like that. I think that's what you need sometimes in, in a powder coating job shop, you need to be able to think both ways. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think both, uh, you know, speaking for Maui Powder Works, it, it seems like 
whatever Ross is good at, I'm not good at, <laughs> you know, like yeah. we have, we just have that component of a mom and pop shop that, you know, I, I seem to kind of fit in there where he, you know, he doesn't have that or whatever. Right. So mm-hmm. we, we tend to be a pretty good team in terms of making sure that the customer is happy. I mean, always that's on our mind, right. Making the customer happy. That's, you know, on the forefront, you might want to add that in your tree, right? <laughs> Make right. your customer happy. Yeah. Um, you know, somehow we navigate to that finished goal, right? Of mm-hmm. whatever that is. Um, we were in a situation um, the other day, and sometimes you get customers that are like this, and maybe we can kind of talk about customers for a minute because. Mm-hmm. So we had this, you know, some people do have. Um, I don't want to say mental issues, but some people think and think their reality is a little slightly different than what really took place. Um, and I, thankfully at Maui Powder Works, we don't have a lot of those, but we've learned to identify them very early on. Um, and when we do the alarm bells go off and sometimes you're better off not even having them because you almost can't, no matter how far you can bend backwards or redo a part or be as nice or be as gruff as you want to be, you're never going to be able to satisfy them. And it's, Mm. it's just something with them, not you or your processes. Um, so for instance, we had a guy who has, um, you know, those cable railings, they're really popular right now Okay. and they'll get built and then you run the cable through them. Um, so it looks like strings. Um, so we had a guy come in, he was already kind of in a bad mood because him and the welder didn't get along well, which I can't imagine because this guy is the nicest guy and he does quality work. Um, so we kind of knew something was up with that just from the, from the get go, because Mm -hmm. you know, who talks bad about this guy? Right. Right. Um, Anyways, he's trying to match the color wise. He's trying to match the door. And, you know, sometimes in powder coating, you can get it a visual match as close as you can, but it takes a really comp. It takes someone that knows a lot about color and powder mm-hmm. to, um, to even try to attempt to achieve that because most people will just go, no, I can't match that. Cause it's an anodized door or something like that. And there's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost impossible to match, uh, you know, a, uh, uh, aluminum anodized look, you know, right. and, um, so, but we tried and we made samples all along, you know, stair-stepping them away. First, mm-hmm. we've kind of pushed them away and told him, no, we're not going to do this job. We don't want to do this job. We're not interested. And then he's like, well, why don't you, you know, now he's curious, right? So now he's being nice to us and now we're doing samples for him. And yeah. We get it to a point where he has accepted the sample because he's gone back and forth to his house house, and he realizes, okay, this is the close I'm going to be able to get it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he goes, okay, comes down. I'm going to go on vacation. So I've approved this sample. Um, So when I get back, I'll come and pick up my stuff and everything will be hunky dory. And so we do that. It's, mm-hmm. it's out here for a couple of weeks till he got back. He comes and picks it up, pays for it, gets it home and says, uh, this isn't what I wanted. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. Ross is about ready to like 
wring his neck, you know, like we've done everything possible. Sure. We've stair-stepped him, baby-stepped him to where he mm-hmm. was going to be. And now he has forgotten what he said. And of course, he's looking at his texting to us and his, and I'm like, no, there is no, there was no text, you know, I probably should have hindsight, right? But you came into the shop and you told us, okay, this is the final sample. And so we proceeded from there. I said, I wouldn't have ordered the powder Mm because we didn't have enough. We had enough powder to do the sample, but we needed more powder to finish the job. I -hmm. said, Robert, how could we have even how could I, I could, I had to order more powder to even get this job done. So you had to have approved this because he was denying that he approved the sample, even uh, though he, did. he dropped off his parts without, uh, yeah, he did why all I of off these things, but ignored, <laughs> but now is telling me that he did not approve the sample. And I'm like, okay, none of these things would have taken place. Yeah. If you hadn't, you know, how, including why him I, dropping off his parts, right? I mean, yeah, so like why would he nothing, drop off parts if he didn't intend to prove it. Nothing was logical. And of course, you know, now he's looking at his phone as a defense mechanism, you know, and ignoring, you know, I said, no, you look at me in the face. You look at me, right? You know, I'm like, I'm talking to him like he's a two-year-old, you know, and I'm like, no, look at me when I'm talking to you and at least give me the respect Mm -hmm. that I deserve for trying to make this a project that is, you know, that you're happy with, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't know if it's just that, you know, I have a background in hospitality and I live in Hawaii and that's, you know, our whole world revolves around customer service here in Hawaii. It's just kind of our nature here. So most guys would just go, you know, out of here, see you later, bye-bye, you know, but, um, you know, I have to, I guess I have to take it to that next level, (laughs) you know? Um, So now we've got it to a point where it's like, okay, can you just give me black now? And I promise I won't make any, you know, because now, you know, you're worried, is the guy going to cancel his check if I try to deposit it? Is he, is he going to rate me up on Google and, you know, all this stuff, you know, that goes on in the back of your head. Right. And anyways, this is a long story to tell you that even though you can have processes in place, sometimes the right customer or the wrong customer comes in, you know, uh, and it can all go sideways. So having this step-by-step, you know, involvement here where you've crossed that T and dotted that I with a system like this knows that you've done everything. Mm-hmm. Now, people that have certifications like ISO 9000, you know, and mm-hmm. the PCI one and stuff like that, you know, they've, that's part of what that is. But, you know, if you're just trying to make your own standard here in your own shop work, you know, this helps establish your own personal, I guess, certification level Mm -hmm. for your own company, you know, by doing these steps, you know, because you can't go with a he said, she said, you know, that never works. Yeah, no, that that dynamic that that you've you've described obviously is a bit of human nature, right? It's not it's not just uh, Robert, right? It's yeah. <laughs> it's also uh, employee to employee, uh, husband to wife, friends. It happens at all all the times, um, and even with especially with customers, and certainly within um, within you know your own, the own plant. So yeah, if everyone's 
and a lot of it has to do with verbal, right? Because there's a tone, there's, oh, I, I, I said, I was thinking about it. Not I did like, well, yes, yeah. You know if you have it in a system and it's like, I have issued a purchase order or here's a shipper right. or here's <laughs> the next step or I've completed them or I've used two pounds of powder. Like you either did or you didn't. Right. So it's, right. I think, a, you know, that's, that's kind of really digging into a very human level about why, you know, a lack of systems can fall apart. Not that you okay. need to set up yeah. a system with that exact customer, but like systems with, with humans in general. So I think that really underscores, you know, the need for systems, even with two people involved, right? Is you and one guy and, and, and still- It could be it, me and Ross arguing about what was he said, she said, you know? Yeah. It doesn't have to be with a customer, you know? Um, it can happen between in your own company, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you know, just another layer to it, right? You know, Um, and that, you know, um, not to jump around on your slides and stuff, but, you know, in continuing with that on, uh, on this customer level thing, you know, I have a friend of mine who's actually been on the show and we were having a, you know, it, we were just having a regular conversation and we're like, wow, this would be a great topic for a podcast. And mm-hmm. what we were talking about, cause he has automated, he doesn't use your system, but he has an automated system or um, productivity system. And mm-hmm. it's been a game changer for him in the last year that he's had it for sure. I mean, he's now, you know, projected to do even more money this year because he has automated himself, yep. you know, where he's starting to really dive deep with that data. Um, and what he's come to understand, um, and this was the premise of us coming, him coming back on the show was that there are customers that he has that maybe the margins are a little lower because Mm -hmm. you're doing, you know, like he's doing a small little ped gate for $38 in black all day long. All day sure. long, all day long. You alluded this earlier uh, in the webinar I attended earlier this morning, which was, <clears throat> you know, you've got these some some of some of the jobs are have thinner margins, and then you've got other customers that, you know, maybe you're charging top dollar for them, but they are such a headache to deal with. Mm-hmm. You know, they they never bring in the volumes uh, or bring things on time. You know, so now you're having to put them in the back of the bus, you know, and wait for the next, then they get mad because you, you had to do that because you had all these other jobs come in ahead of them or come in on time. You know, you know, how do you, you know, you can really kind of start to see with data like this, which customers are the ones you want to keep, even if they've got thinner margins, they, they don't give you any headaches, you know, that you could do them all day long and they're nice little yeah. fillers for other jobs in between other jobs, you know, yeah. Do you, have you uh, had any customer, uh, uh, you know, businesses like that happen? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that dynamic that you've described, that's, um, that's a very, uh, specific decision that, that, um, you might make, but it's, um, there are, hundreds or thousands of those kinds of decisions that you can make on on uh, a daily basis or weekly basis sometimes even hourly basis how you how you run your plant and it's really about having uh, the data because um, especially when you get at scale right if you're doing if you're um, small enough you kind of have it in your head mm-hmm. but if you get to a larger um, extent or if you go on vacation for a week or if you have another shift or you don't work every single day and you're not literally watching the work be done 
um, reporting and having analytics on that is how you can be instructive on, well, are they a good customer? Can Do they deserve a lower price? Or is that priced appropriately? Like if we're tracking rework, this is just rework by week, but perhaps we're tracking rework by part number. You know, what if that part um, just inherently causes a lot of rework? Our process mm. is dialed. We can't fix it. The parts might come in uh, in poor condition. Um, they might come in dirty, whatever the case may be, like that part may inherently have more rework. So now we need to increase that cost. So, um, or like how much business does that, uh, customer send us? So if we're tracking, you know, revenue per customer over the last uh, 60 days or something like that, we're like, well, they're asking for big ass. Well, let's go check. Well, whoops, they're, they're paying the bills. We better do that. Or these these guys are, are all talk and they're constantly talking to us. Uh, or operator training, so it's uh, or, or tracking rework. So whatever that information is that we're looking to um, to run our business off of, um, it's the first step is having the data because, le- le- like you said, Kim, like hey, this this is a great customer. We know that because the margins are 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 are, are um, at an acceptable level versus the amount of work it takes to execute their work, or they're really consistent, they're on time, uh, whatever the case may be. Um, whether it's dealing with a customer and operator equipment, do we offer this certain uh, process anymore, this certain finish anymore? Um, those are decisions that um, you can make without data, but uh, really when you're armed with the data, sometimes the decisions are self-evident and the, and the decisions are actually can become quite easy because um, the data really tells the story. Yeah, and I think you know when, when we know we've lost a job or lost on a job or whatever, I mean, we feel it in the gut, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, what if you could just look at the data and feel more objective about it? Um, sometimes there's better, dis- you know, obviously there, there's better decision-making that comes with it. Um, and maybe I'm the one that's more subjective about it. Ross knows when to take, tell somebody to go to the curb, right? Sure. But, you know, um, I'm always the mommy and want to like, oh, no, it's okay. Come back. You know, it's not as bad as it, you know, like, I don't know why I do that. It's just my nature, I suppose. But, um, you know, if I could see something like that, I go, hell yeah, he needs to go away, go away. <laughs> you know, um, you don't feel bad about it. Um, I think there's a lot of, because this is such a humbling or, you know, uh, the custom coders are humble guys to begin with. They mm-hmm. really take pride in their work mm-hmm. um they because of the precision and, and perfection of coding and in, in it in and of itself it, it prides itself and it's a forward thing it's a forward movement when you're producing mm-hmm. perfect parts all the time right yes um and there's there's a pride involved there's uh reputation involved too mm-hmm. and you know you don't you don't have to always you'll either be able to get it in your gut and know it on paper and see it on a screen and go, yep, I was right. You know, or, Mm -hmm. you know, you get to that point of frustration where you can just say, you know what, I don't deserve this for myself. (laughs) Right. I deserve better. Um, and stuff. And that's where I think data can really, uh, knowing your money and how you're making it and, and, and stuff can really simplify those deeper, mushier feelings, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Kim, no, that's, it's a great uh, point because, you know, every customer you take care of, 
you know, sometimes they're like, uh, you know, like, like I'm a father myself, right? They're like, like children or, or friends or family or the neighbor's got a flat tire and you just, you just want to help them. It, it is human nature, but um, it is important at the same time to hold yourself accountable on that and, and make sure it's, um, the numbers are lining up, make sure it's actually worth it because while it's like, well, I'm running a profit business, I'm just greedy. I just want more money. I mean, right. uh, maybe for some folks, but for a lot of folks, it's not even that, like why we come to work every day. It's, I right. believe in this business. I want to serve the community. I want to, oh, look, these employees that I provide employment to, like, oh, yeah. or, or look at the suppliers. I just ordered in a new oven and, and that guy down the street came and built it for me and I helped them. So it's, it's profit is, is not a, a bad thing, right? So I guess if we're running our plant um, down here and we're, we're running jobs that are actually losing money, it may seem like, oh, just a great thing. We're just, we're the Salvation Army. We're just, we're just turning out uh, good for the, for the world, but not necessarily because, um, you know, they're dealing there. Your business is not going to grow. You're not going to be able to provide, you know, maybe healthcare to your employees or Christmas bonus or anything like that, or you're not gonna be able to invest in your own equipment. And then, um, honestly, their, their levels of service aren't going to be as high because you can't make the investments in systems and equipment. Um, so in the long run for the customer, like, oh, I'm getting a de good deal because you're losing money on my parts. Like, yeah, but that's short term, right? Because you are losing right. money. Eventually right. you run out and you might right. go out of business. You won't and now the they, they, now they have no one to do their parts. Exactly. Don't have left. Right? So it really it doesn't yeah. help the customer. It helps them in the short run. They get a little deal, but it doesn't help the business owner. It doesn't help the employees. It doesn't help the, the community. And it doesn't even help the customer in the long run because the shop has to go out of business because you lost money. So it's, it's, yeah, um, where would they be? Yeah. But once you make, once you're making profit now, now you have all the touchy feelies. I would say you have the privilege of being touchy feely. If you're losing money, eh, you don't really have that privilege, right? Because it's, right. A, it's an existential crisis. Like we, we need to survive. Yeah. We need this business to prosper. And then now we can, you know, we can work on our culture and who we are as a business and who we help, but we're doing it from a position of positivity and strength and, and we have we have a foundation to build off of, so it's it's almost like building the foundation and then you know building our, our business brand and and culture and what we bring to the world on top of that on top of solid business fundamentals. Yeah, I mean, I was on Facebook the other day. Somebody posted uh, in one of the groups, you know, that his system was, you know, his he's selling all of his equipment, and you oh. know, it didn't say he was getting out of business. He just said, "My all my stuff's for sale." Blah blah blah. Message me, mm -hmm. and I'm like, "Well, why are you selling?" He goes that's none of your business. That's, you no. know, like, you know, I'm like, well, okay. You know, are you upgrading? Are you, you know, did you run yourself out of business? Did you make some yeah. poor choices? Are you getting a divorce? Does your wife hate you? You know, because no. you're in powder coating, you don't want your wife to hate you because you're in powder coating. Right. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I love this slide. Um, it really said a lot to me. Um, I know it's, it might, I, hopefully it's not too hard to read on the screen when we put it up, but you know, I mean, I just, the graphs alone, you know, why don't you just go ahead and kind of explain a little bit because that the bell curve uh, at the top there is, um, oh yeah, you can zoom in. That's cool. Is that, is that better? Um, like... It's back to the home screen. There you go. Yeah. But it's, it's big enough. I think you, I think people can see it. Okay. And I'll, I'll for those that are listening, we'll just kind of visually explain, you know, uh, what we're seeing on these graphs, right? It, I yeah. like that you call it naive quoting. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, naive is a little bit of a technical term, but 
Yeah. So uh, basically, what this, uh, what we're trying to convey here is, is kind of the the logical flow of um, what happens from a quote to you actually run the job because a couple of different things happen. So if we're quoting in a naive fashion or an uninformed fashion or a very subjective fashion, we may, you know, the quote on Monday might be different than the quote on Tuesday. And then the next Monday, it's yeah. actually a different number again, because the same facts are getting a different quote each time. We have um, a lot of subjectivity and we have some randomness. So um, we can represent that with a curve. And if we have a high degree of randomness, that curve is going to be pretty flat, meaning there's going to be a lot of variation in our quoting. It's not going to be very tight and precise. And so if we send out 100 quotes out into the world, um, we are going to have a lot around the optimal, optimal price, assuming we're guessing pretty close because we have a pretty good gut. And that's fine. And, and really what this means is and what some people say is I'm right on average. And mm -hmm. what we really want to emphasize is that's not good enough because if you're right on average, you're right right here. That means you are lined up on the optimal price, which is fine. But if you have jobs that are too high and too low surrounding that average, mm -hmm. you can pay the price there. So because the customers, they're not just going to accept your quotes in the same distribution that you sent them out. If you send out a quote here and you send out a job there, you're probably going to win that job and you're going to lose that job. So the customers don't agree with your quotes all the time, mm -hmm. right? Right. So if you shoot high, you lost a job. If you shoot low, you won the job, but you're barely making any money or you're not making money at all. So yeah. it's really the fact that the customers are involved in this decision price because ultimately what you're doing is you're working with customers to decide what does this job cost or what is it worth? And they're involved in that decision. Like you can't just tell them what it's worth. <laughs> uh, otherwise, you know, we'd be in a different situation, right? So they have to be involved and they always like the low price. So if you're not careful about um, how wildly distributed your quotes are, you're going to end up with a lot of jobs that are winners for you. You won the job, but they're actually losers because you're losing money on them or you're barely making money. They're not contributing to the growth of your business, the growth of your business community, the growth of what you can provide to your customers. Yeah, it's putting in a drag on it, you know, when yeah. you could be accelerating so much further, you know. And the thing is, is um, I, I'm I'm a suck, I'm, I'm, I'm a stickler for details, right? Mm. I almost kind of get like, I want to know, you know, even like personal stuff, you know, sometimes I'm making a joke, but like, you know, when somebody calls in and needs a quote and stuff, I try to ask as many, I try to be as thorough as possible and ask as many questions as I can, mm -hmm. because the more I understand their motivations for calling me in the first place, or, you know, I can maybe get an indication based on the way they're talking to me you know, how much money they have for this project or how desperate they are. Like we just, um, while we've been podcasting here, we got a delivery on a job from mm -hmm. a major contractor. I'm not sure what's happened or gone on with the customer, but either it was a punch list item that either didn't get done or got done poorly. And now it's become urgent, I mean, beyond mm -hmm. urgent, like, oh my God, maybe they don't get paid. You know, that's the you understanding contractors and stuff when they're working with deadlines and, and everything. Like when they don't make that deadline, money comes out of their pocket, you know, mm -hmm. on a lot of their contracts. And so, you know, having and being able to turn something around quickly, you know, helps them satisfy that as best as possible, you know, as best they can, you know. Um, right. 
and you know, so I, I'm a stickler or I'm, I'm, I encourage everybody listening to ask as many questions as you can, because the more you ask about the project and what is at hand or when their deadline is, or it really kind of can give you some insights, how they answer, what they answer to where you can help price better or know oh, I can get a little bit more from him because he needs it like by Monday or, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing, you know, so that maybe you can kind of fill yourself into that better part of the graph, right? Of this bell curve, <laughs> you right. know? Yeah, I like that comment, Kim. Uh, and, and what your comment is, is look for positive opportunities. Um, you know, hey, they, um, they sound like they're really urgent. Well, I can serve them. I can provide value to them. It's obviously coming at a cost. I'm displacing other work. I'm coming in. Right. Um, not sleeping tonight, uh, whatever the case may be. Um, so that's searching for those positive opportunities when you're quoting. And that's really important. But I'd say the other part is uh, having your hard stops, like having a no-go zone and, right. and, and having that no-go zone built off of facts and analytics and information and data that you've run it. Oh, I've done that before. Believe me, I've done, <laughs> I've done that turnaround time for that price. I can't make money. Guaranteed not. The overtime's not worth it. I have to pay. And it's just like, I don't care how hard they're asking. And that's what, if, when you have the data and you have the processes and they are all excited and they're ranting and raving and you just say, no, I'm, I can't do that job at that price. I just, I just can't, or I can't hit that turnaround time. Uh, so it's, I think it's a combination um, of what, what you said, which is like looking for those positive opportunities, but then also where are the, the, pot the hard have, stops for you. Hard yeah. stops. We have a hard stop yeah. there. We have a hard stop there and we're, we're not going there. I don't care how hard you yell. It's like, <laughs> not in that business unless you're doing like a, you know, intro product project or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is, this is a great slide to think about. And, and, and even those that, that are listening, I think they can kind of grasp, you know, what we're talking about here, um, even without these graphs. Um, but, you know, you're always wanting to know where you are, you know, like where, you know, you are here on the map, right? You know, so yes. where, where can you go next or where can you just inch it a little bit further uh, better for yourself. And I think that we're, you know, I, I, again, one of the great things about what you've done here with your product is, you know, knowing that the trends in powder coating are only going to grow from here. We're, you know, we're in a high growth, uh, industry right now. Uh, as long as the fed doesn't kill it all, but, um, you know, um, uh, you know, I'm I'm happy to be in a in manufacturing in a marketplace that is for paint coatings that are low VOC. You know, good for the you know good for mm -hmm. the people uh, and less intrusive, so that we can grow and grow quickly because people are going to need this software soon enough if they keep growing. You know, mm -hmm. and maybe helping with them with less. Uh, headaches, right? And pain points, you know, you're either a painkiller or, you know, you're the vitamin, right? So um, right. I think you definitely have a, you know, a painkiller here, uh, which is what everybody needs, especially when they're hurting or need to grow quickly. Yeah. A lot of these companies, they grow so fast. Mm -hmm. They need stuff like this. Yeah, no, Kim, you're spot on with the industry, and I, I don't want to dovetail into into lead times because that's a, a kind of a separate topic. But I, I do just want to point to this: um, a survey we ran at FabTech just real quickly. Uh, you mentioned the powder coating industry is growing, uh, absolutely, but also there's still a lot of powder coating that's done in house. So these particular fabricators, about 60 that we interviewed, 
town in Atlanta, uh, 67% said that, uh, yes, we actually do it in-house. So uh, that's obviously John Deere and Caterpillar and and all these big manufacturers, but even some of these mom and pop, you know, 100 Oh, these fabbers do it. Yeah. They, they do it all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so for job shop, powder coating shops, like that's an opportunity because they don't necessarily want to do powder coating. Um, they're doing it because they have to, because um, there's not a job shop available for them to use. Um, but just at, at a general level, um, in, in my opinion, whenever a manufacturer who's building products and engineering and designing, when they have an opportunity to outsource something, uh, they will want to do that. It makes their life way easier. So um, I just want to share that as well from yeah, a no, growth it's a perspective. Point. It's like, mm-hmm. it's not just you and the other powder coder in this county. It's it's all of your customers. You're actually competing with your own customers. Because if you do a good enough job, they're be like, you know what? Oh, oh, you you cut my side yard. Why don't you cut my front yard too? And eventually, they don't even know mower anymore, right? Because you do such okay. a good job. Like they first, they just had you come and mow the lawn when you're on vacation. When they're on vacation, and eventually, you know, you're you're putting in the garden, yeah. you're doing it all, right? So it's just kind of getting uh, more and more. So there's unlimited opportunity in powder coating. Is 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 um, is what I believe. I you know yeah I think as um you know it takes someone. Well, let's just say this. If if you're a manufacturer that's outsourcing powder coating and having a bad experience big enough and important enough to take it in-house and then have to learn that new mm-hmm. trade, mm-hmm. that, you know, powder coating is not easy to learn. No. Uh, that is, that says a lot about our industry too, right? You know, mm-hmm. that, that maybe... It, because we didn't have the software, right, or or the processes in place, or the you know the systems in place to 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 give them what they needed, you know, then they they maybe not doing their job or could be doing a better job, you know. Um, I know a, there is a lot of crossover between welders and powder coaters. Sometimes, sure. you know, even we're looking at a crossover service or an additional service that's related to coating, but not, and it's mm-hmm. not welding or anything, but it's, you know, we're looking at wearing many hats just because we see other opportunities, you know, elsewhere too. Um, so, you know, but when you do that, you want to look for something that's easy, not hard to get into. So, you know, right. when you, you've got a statistic like that, that's a pretty big one. Um, and, you know, how, you're not com- necessarily competing with them because they have it in-house, but that leads the rest of the people that aren't getting, aren't using these people to get their stuff done through you too. So it actually mm-hmm. opens up more market share. I think market share is going to continue to grow though, mm-hmm. uh, either way, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. Wait, so late. There's some more stuff we want to talk about. Um, you had a slide. I have a note here. You have a slide that is uh, talking about a closed system. And I think we kind of touched on it a little bit because it's like, well, what is a healthy lead, right? Um, and your closed system kind of puts it all, everything into perspective here on the process or the thought process of what you should be thinking about, whether you have a system like yours or not. Mm -hmm. Um, Why don't you take us through this slide? Because I I think it's a really 
you know, a really important one that we're always trying to hone in here on our, on our show, um, because it talks about, you know, your, how much does it cost to make you money? Right. You know, you've got Mm -hmm. your overhead that you, you know, what is it? Um, and you know, if you don't know what that is, then how do you know you're making money? Right. So that's the bottom line of today's show. Yeah, absolutely. It's happy to run through it and I'll, I'll, um, Maybe I'll over-narrate a little bit for the audio-only uh, listeners here, but for those viewing, you can kind of follow along with my mouse here. And and basically, uh, a closed-loop system uh, in its most generic definition means that it comes back to the beginning again, um, mm-hmm. whereas in an, an, an open system, it comes in one end and it goes out the other, and it's gone forever. It never comes back to the beginning. So the system that we are focusing on in this particular slide and is because there's many other ones that you could talk about quality we could talk about uh, other closed loop systems but this is one of one example this one is the system of generating prices and again a price is something you and the customer agree on a price and you execute the work at that price so when you first generate a price you have to take into account a lot of factors i, I didn't put the uh uh, the craziness of the customer on here, uh, Kim, <laughs> but maybe we'd add that to your your matrix there. But you know, we're looking at things like labor rates, powder cost, uh, tooling, utilities. Maybe we have to pay expedite fees on that powder to get it here soon to hit the, the lead time. Masking, plugs, packaging, our desired profit margin, so we can run a healthy business. Uh, so these are, I would say, the analytical or the um, calculated or theoretical uh, drivers that dr- generate a price. So in theory, this. This part should cost us uh, $73 uh, to run in 88 cents. Well, that's that's great. Uh, and we generate a quote and we send it and then we receive a purchase order. We win the job. And then next we run that job. And that is where a lot of people will just run the job and then take the payment and just be done. And if they get the job again, well, it just goes back in the same open system and then it comes through again and then they send it back to the customer, get payment, and then they're done. Um, but there's a tremendous amount of value left on the table from an information or a data standpoint, because if you complete the job and instead of just sending the parts to the customer and collecting the payment and then just being done until they send it back again, uh, if we analyze the performance of, of that job, uh, of that part number of that customer, uh, ideally every time, every job, we can answer questions in an automated format like, did we make money? Did we run this job as well as last time? So if we ran this job five times, how did it? How did we do uh, versus the last five times we run it, or something like wheels, where uh, we don't get the exact same wheel every time? Well, that's fine, but right. that was a truck wheel versus a car wheel. How how are our margins looking on truck wheels, and is this in alignment with our truck wheel? So we can use generalizations if it's not uh, like an OEM part number. Uh, were our costs estimated correctly? We estimated X Y Z cost drivers. Is that what it actually was or was it above or below? So are we are we doing a good job of estimating our powder? Are we doing a good job of estimating our blasting labor? Um, how does lot size impact performance? If it's a scenario where the customer sometimes, sometimes sends five parts and sometimes sends 50, do we understand how much of an impact that has when that goes all over the place? Because we might be putting uh, half the amount of parts in the oven and running it for the same period of time. And that's driving, driving our cost. And the key is to take that information and drive it back into the beginning. So that way, when we're generating a price or the customer comes back to us and says, hey, you did great work. We want to do it again. We'll say, okay, give us a minute. We'll, we'll take a look. We'll say, well, that price isn't $78. It's, it's actually $92. Or you know what? We actually overpriced it. It's actually $64. But 
but regardless of what we do in that situation, we are informed and we have the facts and whatever path we choose, like, hey, we still have a healthy margin at 64. We want this customer. So we don't want to keep charging because eventually they're going to get another quote. We're going to lose that customer. So we have the the ability to make that decision. So if we don't have a closed loop system where we run a job and we get information about how we did on that job, um, they want to quote again and we'll say, well, they came back for more. Well, uh, it must be good. Uh, Let's just do it again. Where we don't, we actually don't know if we lost money or if we're overpriced. Um, but we just said, well, they 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 paid us last time, so we'll just do it again at the same price. Um, it's it's kind of taking a step level uh, higher, and 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 really what that does is it builds an intellectual flywheel for your business because instead of just coming in every single day and just working as hard as you can and, and going home <laughs> and then coming in and doing it again, we're actually getting better every single day because we're learning every day and we're getting better at coding. We're getting better at so every day we come in and we actually do more than we did before for the same amount of effort because we're getting better and we're getting more efficient. We're getting smarter. Uh, the old working smarter work, not not harder uh, added. So it's creating a flywheel in the background of your business of almost like intellectual property um, right. as, you, as you really understand your business and your customers and your cost structures at a very intimate level that allows you to 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 uh, to do more, be more productive with with less resources over time. Yeah. And you had a, an example earlier this morning about um, the guy. uh I guess he realized that they weren't dropping parts off as many as they could. And somehow they figured out in using your system um, that if they just could bring the more parts at the time that they were supposed to, they could Mm -hmm. have, you know what I mean? And I couldn't remember if it just, uh, it was uh, the way you explained it was either the, the customer won out on a better price because they all, Oh yeah. And we can bring you more stuff. Or if it was on the back end, the guy ended up making better margins because he just, all he had to do was ask. (laughs) How simple was that? No, Kim, you're right. That's exactly what it was is the first one that you mentioned. So they, they received orders. Well, they did these parts for this customer all day long, all month long, but the quantities that they received the parts were all over the place. It'd be uh, low numbers, high numbers. And they finally went back to this customer and said, Hey, if you guys send them to us in less than 50, we actually can't do it at the price you're paying. AKA, if you send them in batches of 10, we're going to stick you out like pretty hard on the cost because of XYZ reasons, because we have the data right here. Right. right. Um, but if you guys send them in 50 or above, you guys will get that same nice low price. Like, and they did this for like a Fortune 100 manufacturer, like kind of like a little bit intimidating. Like, you better be right if you're going to go in there and make that ask. They, <laughs> might, they might say, well, we want to send them to you at batches of five at that price and we're ready to go down the street, but you have to be ready for that to happen and comfortable with that because you understand your numbers. In this particular case, that that manufacturer said, or that customer said, okay, no problem. We'll get you those higher volumes, uh, those higher batch sizes to help manage your costs because we want that same low cost. So a slight adjustment the customer had to make, but it's really just a, a great simple example of what happens when you have the data um, and the information to back whatever you're going to ask for. Otherwise, you're just kind of going in and asking and then they ask why and and, and you know, yeah, maybe you don't ask ever because you're you're kind of scared or in, right. you know, but when you have the facts and you know where, where, where you're at as a business, you can just you're you're okay with the outcome no matter what happens. You say this is what we have to do for our business, and you know you the customer can make the decision that's appropriate for you. But um, this is this is where we're going as a business. Yeah, and the other side to that too is. If you have this, you know, one month you're sending them a bill for this X number of dollars and then it goes down and then it goes sky high again the next month because of the way they're delivering the parts to you, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, It can, 
if you're, especially when you're dealing with like super big companies, those accountants in their companies are looking for inconsistencies in billing because they don't want to be taken advantage of, right? So it could lead to a delay in payment. It could lead to, you know, like, because they're like red flagging everything you're sending them. Um, and then they're not paying you on time or at least within the 45, you know, whatever the agreement is and stuff like that. It could, that could, you know, on the customer side could lead to all kinds of other problems for you uh, when it could just be simply showing up and being intelligent and saying, look, this is what's going on, right? This has been fabulous, Jeff. Y you know, I really, I, you know, you and I have met briefly. Mm -hmm. um, here and there, powder coating week and, and, and stuff like that. And I met your brother Dean, um, mm -hmm. too, cause he reached out to us mm -hmm. and, you know, I really have, I, I just want to tell you that I have learned an appreciation for you and the level of knowledge that you have about systems and systems building. It, it's mm -hmm. incredible. Um, so thank you. Uh, for being so good. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Kim. Yeah, we have a, a very passionate team. I, I'm just, uh, I, I do a lot of the talking and, and presenting and all that, but, you know, we have uh, quite a few engineers in, in the backside and the deployment engineers and, and the sales team that work with customers on an everyday basis, solving their problems, configuring accounts to their specific needs, custom automation, building new features, new tools. So um, the knowledge is, is um, gain through service uh, to our, our customers. We, we help our, you know, we're a very customer focused uh, entity, uh, very focused, uh, customer focused company. And um, yeah, we're just a, a sponge and we just try to absorb problems that customers bring to us and then solve them the best way that we, we possibly can. So uh, we learned a bit along the way in, in, in doing that. So, but yeah, yeah. no, it's been an absolute pleasure, uh, Kim. Uh, it's a pleasure to see you in Florida uh, a month or so ago here. Yeah, um, we're almost getting some uh, summer weather in Michigan. I think it's officially spring now, so that means just a little bit more snow. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're we're excited for some warmer weather here. And uh, yeah, no, it's been a, a fantastic podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Um, do you ever see? I mean, just real quick though, on mm -hmm. on a level of like where a shop. Is it a monetary thing? I mean, I know you're at that point where it's like a pain mm. point for you, then you're mm. ready for that technology. But like, is there some level or do you ever see yourself building a product that is sort of a scalable one so that, you know, because I'm thinking, yeah, I could use this system on some level. I don't know if I could need all the bells and whistles that, you know, mm. for our small size. I mean, you can see pretty much what I'm dealing with here in the background, but like it would still, it's still nice to be digitally uh, coherent, <laughs> you know, and, um, and then have a, have something that can scale along with me too, you know, as we grow together. Sure. But I don't know, have you ever thought about that? Yeah, no, Kim, it's a, it's a great um, question. So, I mean, we, our smallest customer is, has, I believe, three people, three, three to five, um, and then all the way up to, uh, you know, the mid 100s. Um, and, and obviously, it's different challenges all along the way. But the thing that I think people underestimate, um, even given, you know, a smaller scale, eight to 10, is the value of their own time. Um, mm -hmm. it's a very common mentality, um, even as an individual, like, well, my car's broken and it's going to take, 
uh, the brakes. I need to get the brakes done. So I'm just going to do it in the driveway, in the gravel driveway with my jack, and it's raining. I've done this. Headlight, 35 degrees, torque wrench, rusty bolts. I'm in a gravel driveway, and I'm changing whatever, the half shaft, the bearing. Um, I've did that for many years. I, I, I no longer do that. I take it to the pros, the, the auto shops. They got the nice tools. They got the air wrenches. They got the heat, the AC. Um, but to me, that mentality shifts not just like I'm tired of bloody knuckles. It's like, you know what? I can do a lot with my time. I can work on my business. I can work with my family. I can, I have my priorities. Um, and, and that's one thing I think that smaller shops tend to underrate is they're like, yeah. you know what? Wheel bearings, so right. no problem. I can do wheel bearings. No, I'll do that wheel bearing. Uh, swap a muffler. I can do that. I'm going to go buy a welder from Harbor Freight. I'm going to do that. So there's a little bit of a false economy, in my opinion, where it's like uh, we can just uh, kind of DIY it to, to the nth degree and just avoid spending uh, capital because it, it is a little bit of a different mentality to say, hey, we're going to make an investment, but that investment has a clear ROI. We're not just doing it just for just for fun, but we're also um, – we're seeing the fact that, hey, this is going to me, Kim, I'm going to or whoever it is that's doing these activities, I'm going to save 10 hours a week and not saying, well, that 10 hours a week is worth zero dollars. It's like, no, 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 that 10 hours a week is worth a tremendous amount because look at all this extra work we can do. So to me, it's it's a two sided equation that needs to be happened whenever you're looking to make an investment. It's like, yes, there's that cost. And obviously, we want the cost to be zero in an ideal world. But uh, sometimes you get what you pay for. But, you know, it, to me, it's having a really honest assessment is that if we spend that dollar, do we get five dollars in return, uh, or do I get X hours back where I can go and earn those five dollars? Um, but as far as steelhead, you know, we, we do cater um, to, to fairly small shops. Um, we do. Um, I think in the future we'll probably will make it like completely self serve. So where it's like uh, you mentioned uh, Trello. Well, Trello's a very generic software. You could run an ice cream shop on it. You could uh, <laughs> you could bake cakes with it. Um, and you can also run uh, some powder coating on it as well. We, we've seen that as well. And it's very low cost and you just go on and use it. Um, but, you know, our, our approach has been to uh, build systems in a very custom, in a very deep way for the cohesive business. Uh, and that drives a lot of time and expense uh, on our side of the professional services. But, you know, uh, certainly down the road, it's certainly um, something that we've considered is making the software just kind of available for DIY um, at, at, a, at a lower cost with obviously less service. Uh, and things of that nature. But, but currently we're, we're focusing with um, the more intensive uh, business-wide uh, deployments and, and really focusing on, on those that um, have, a, have a, lot of, a lot of pain and, and, and have some, some scale that they're, they're working on uh, and have some growth plans and really putting in that robust uh, digital infrastructure. But you know, uh, we, we do try to get as, as low as we can as, as far as um, uh, cost and, and size of shops that we're able, able to accommodate and while still providing a great service, right? Um, as I was mentioning about, um, you know, the economics, right? If we, uh, if we, if we undercharge, we don't charge enough, and, and we can't pay employees. Right. All of a sudden, we're gone, and we're back where we started. Where powder coating doesn't have a great technology solution. So, um, yeah, that's something that we, uh, we pay a lot of attention to. And and one thing that's exciting about powder coating is you start working with a shop when they're at ten, and before you know it, they're at they're at thirty. Like I'm, our second customer um, started with I think six, and and now they're at. 23 or something like that and like yeah. a year so it can be uh it can be really exciting so even if you are six people um you know if you have growth plans um it, it, the infrastructures you, you need to build you the need, foundation before the house it. yeah so you can't necessarily you can wait but it's it's a much more painful route versus making uh, an investment up front in a scalable system. Yeah. And I can appreciate what you just said too. And, you know, anybody considering 
um, something like Steelhead or, you know, other softwares mm-hmm. that are out there. It's like, you know, um, you, it's better to start sooner than later. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because the longer you wait, the, the, the digitizing, the data entry and everything gets just even more, you know, uh, complicated. But I think you said that really well. It's more than just time and, and your own, you know, it's anybody that I've seen use technology like this, they're growing, they're exponentially growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I have a, I think a lot of it has to do with what the, the steps that they've taken to, to get themselves in a situation like with Steelhead, you know, mm-hmm. so I can appreciate that. And I thank you again. Now, where can we find you? Are you on Instagram? Are you on Facebook? I think we are on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Chantal, our head of marketing, um, uh, uh, runs runs our, our socials. Um, but uh, our, our website is probably the best place to start if oh, you're yeah, interested. Oh, yeah, let me that up. Mm-hmm. It's gosteelhead.com. Steelhead like the fish, so G-O, go, and then steelhead, S-T-E-E-L-H-E-A-D, gosteelhead.com. Uh, we have a lot of videos. We have a lot of pages about all the different functionalities, quoting, workflows, reporting, shipping, receiving, um, you name it, all the core functions of an entire uh, powder coating business. We really try to have an educational website where you can spend, um, you know, a good half hour, hour watching videos, digging around the website and really educate yourself and say, Hey, is this something that's useful for us? Is this something that would help, help us? And then of course we have the option to, to book a meeting right there. It links right to our calendars and you can jump on a short half hour call and uh, those calls are usually very consultative and um, kind of guarantee you're going to learn something, right? Because you're having a dialogue about where your business is growing, your growth plans. Uh, we've been in hundreds of shops, so we're going to be able to ask you really uh, probing questions and, and questions that are really pertinent to your shop, um, make suggestions, uh, give you guidance on, on expected investment, on timeline, uh, on outcomes. And if you're saying, hey, we have these problems, you know, that's that's what we're here for. We we help with those solutions. So, uh, regardless of whether or not you choose uh, Steelhead, uh, we're always happy to have those conversations because it's ultimately it's about solving your problems and, and growing your business. So, um, yeah, if you're that's if awesome. you if you go online and, and you like what you see, you're, you're excited about um, putting in some systems. Go ahead and and, and book a meeting, and, and we'll uh, it all starts there. So, um, yeah, I look forward to, to talking with everyone. That's awesome, Jeff. Um, thanks for taking the time to come on the show today. I'm always liking new products, new, um, you know, stuff. And you, you know, it's nice to have a conversation around it um, Mm -hmm. rather than just a salesy talk kind of thing, because we're just addressing some of the problems that are in the industry and that we have to suffer through every day and that maybe we don't need to suffer any longer, you know, that there's a, a company out there that has a solution for what they need. So I appreciate you very much for coming on today. Excellent. Thank you, Kim. And thank you for everything that you, uh, you do with the podcast. We, we all yeah. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. Well, everybody have a great day. Um, get out there, get some estimates, make some money and we'll see you next time. Aloha. See you later. Aloha. <laughs>